Praise the Lord. Well, I have a bit to share with you, so we're going to not delay and we're going to get into it. Is that okay? Praise the Lord. Turn with me to 1 Kings. Praise God. Amen. Let's start with 1 Kings chapter 19. Would you be so kind? 1 Kings chapter 19. Now remember, we've seen, <laughs> he said there's not going to be rain for three years. I've titled this, uh, The Vision and the Mantle. This has been a long time in coming. And, uh, and uh, it's a lot, so I've tried to seg segment it into parts so that we can get out a complete thought today and then a complete thought next week because kind of it all blends together and I don't want to leave you hanging and it'd be confusing. So I've tried to re reorganize it so I can say a complete thought today uh, and, and I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a blessing. Praise God. So uh, in 17, Elijah says, you know, there's not going to be uh, rain according to my word. And then, uh, of course, in 18, he comes back and he says to 1 Kings 18, he says to uh, the king, there's going to be rain. I'm going to go pray. We preached that a couple Wednesdays ago. I'm going to go pray on the top of the mountain. You better run. Yeah. Go, go to Jezreel. That's where he lived, capital of Samaria. He was the king of the north, king of Israel. And so he prays. The rain comes. He runs ahead of King Ahab, right? Now, now you see what happens. He gets, he gets to ahead of King Ahab, right? And, uh, and he goes into Jezreel. Ahab comes and tells Jezebel what this boy just did. He just killed 400 prophets of Baal. Now the prophets of the groves, which I won't get into today, but the prophets of the groves were different than the prophets of Baal. All of them were invited, 800 prophets. Only the prophets of Baal showed up. The prophets of the groves didn't. They were too scared. Prophets of the groves were ones that worship Astaroth. They were, they were very sexually perverse in their teachings and in their actions. And Jezebel was over the prophets of the groves and the prophets of Baal. Only half of her prophets got killed. The other half are still around. They just didn't show up to the, to the confrontation with God, probably because they knew they'd lose. Now, Jezebel's very angry. She's furious. And so long story short, she basically sends a messenger to Elijah and says, I'm going to kill you. If I don't have your head on a spit by tomorrow, then God do to me the same thing that I'm going to do to you. So now this is the main guy. He just faced 400 prophets of Baal with boldness and then slaughtered them at the brook Kishron, Kidron or whatever. So what, what is one little old woman who don't even wear makeup? What is one little old woman? We know she's ugly. I mean, you can't be called Jezebel and be demon-possessed and be pretty. And we know she put on makeup because the day she dies, the Bible says she was painting her face in the window. She's so ugly, she had to wear so much makeup on. Now, none of you ladies need makeup in this church because you're all so naturally beautiful. But Jezebel was one ugly duckling. She hit every ugly branch on the way down in that tree. And she's so ugly that she has to stand there and paint her face to cover up all the ugliness. And then she died. Remember, we're going to won't get into that. But anyway, I'm just trying to knock Jezebel a bit because we don't like her. She's anti-Christ. Okay. Anti-Christ are ugly. Not all the time, but in this case. Okay. So she, she, what, this little old ugly woman, why would he be afraid of her, but not afraid of 400 prophets? It showed the power of the devil that was operating through that woman. That, 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 that power through her could intimidate a prophet that just took out 400 prophets. It shows the power of darkness that was operating through that woman. And he got afraid and started running for his life, the Bible says. Father, I thank you for your anointing this morning that helped the people to catch it. In Jesus' name. He ran for his life. Now, I don't believe it was God's will for him to run. It doesn't say anything that God told him to run. 
He just ran. Sometimes you just do things out of fear. And his, and his, and his, his, his buddy, his, his, his confidant, his, uh, his, uh, you know, his assistant went with him a certain, and then he said, stay here. And he kept going into the wilderness and then he stopped down. I'm just summarizing quickly. He stops, he gives up, he wants to die. That suicide thing came on him. And he says, God, there's no point. Just kill me. And he lies down under a juniper tree. And that's when the angel showed up and, and made him, the angel made him a f- meal. Think about that. And gave him a special water and the special food. And he ate it. And then he fell asleep. And then he said, you got to eat it again. This journey is too long for you. And he went 40 days and 40 nights without food. Uh, we don't know about water. The Bible doesn't say. So we could assume maybe without water as well. I don't know. But he went, at least we know 40 days without food to the Mount of God. And he's there on the Mount, he's in a cave, and he's whining, like most of us do. Seriously. That's why in James it said, Elijah, being a natural man with temptations and weaknesses like we are, spoke that there'd be no rain and there wasn't. Remember, James brings Elijah as an example, like he is such a powerful prophet, but he's also so weak. He's just like you and I. He ran for his life. He was afraid. He was also real bold, but he got real afraid. Then he wanted to commit, then he wanted to die. He wanted God to kill him. That doesn't sound like a man of faith and power. Then he's a whiner. In other words, he's saying he's so great, but he's just like us. If God can use him, how much more can God use us? And so he's there and he's in the cave. And and, and I want you to pick it up with me um, in verse chapter 19. He's in the cave and he's complaining to God that he's in the cave and that, that, that he's the only one. Okay. And I, actually, I'm not going to read it for sake of time. But anyway, it's there in chapter 19. You can read it on your own. And he's telling God, I'm the only one left, and they want to kill me, da 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 da, da. And, then, and then there's a, an earthquake, and then there's a fire, and then there's a wind. And God is on any of those things. God says, go out of the cave and go to stand on top of the mountain. And all this stuff happens. And God's on in any of that stuff. But he's in a still small voice. So after God, basically what God was letting him know is, I'm going to deliver you. You've got a still small voice on the inside. There's a still small voice that will guide you out of danger. I know Jezebel wants to kill you, but, but, but I can save you. you. You don't have to be afraid of her. If I can save you from 400 prophets, I can certainly save you from one little old lady. I can save you. But I want you to notice that after verse 12, 1 Kings 19, 12, and after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after a fire a still small voice, and it was so when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him that said, Elijah, what doest thou here? And, and he repeats, now listen, let me give you a clue. When God asks you a question and you give him an answer, and then God comes and demonstrates himself to you and asks you the same question, it would be a mistake to give him the same answer. <laughs> Because, the, because obviously your answer at the beginning wasn't good enough for God. That's why he demonstrated himself. Now he's expecting you to give a different answer. But if you read this, he said the same thing in verse 14. He's whining and complaining that he's the only one. He said that same argument before. Then God says, go up to the top. All this stuff happens. It's still a small voice. He goes back into the cave. God says the same question, the same thing. What doest thou here, Elijah? Why are you even here, boy? And he answers the same thing he answered before, even though God had just given him his answer. I want you to understand that when he did that, he offended God. Because when God does something for you, and God reveals himself to you, and God shows you that he's, he's going to help you, and, and then he says, what are you doing here? He asks you the same question, and you are so bold and so rebellious and so, so fleshly that you would answer him the same way as you answered him before he showed up. 
that's dangerous. What actually happened is as the result of this act of, of disregard that Elijah did, he lost his anointing. Now, he was still anointed. You'll watch later on. He still called fire down. He still, all this stuff happened. But God took, God was, took umbrage with the fact that he did not answer right. Remember, Moses didn't answer right either. And he didn't get to go in the promised land. He didn't, he hit the rock instead of speaking to it. So there's certain things with God. When God gives you a warning and God tells you what to do and you don't listen, blatantly you don't listen, you're going to lose some stuff whether you think you deserve to lose it or not. And Elijah being a great prophet was not where he should have been. He did not do what he should have done. He did not answer the way he should have answered. And so now watch now in verse 15, immediately once he answers wrong and he, and he, and he, he basically offends the Lord because of his lack of faith. And because he disregarded what God had just done in a demonstration for him on the mountaintop. And the Lord, verse 15, said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, thou shalt anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat, thou shalt anoint to be prophet in thy room. Do you see that? Immediately, God picked another prophet. Immediately, because he answered wrong. God said, Lo, go. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't argue with him anymore. He said, go. You're going to anoint this one. You're going to anoint that one. And by the way, you're no longer the prophet. You're going to go anoint him. Now, that means the anointing had come on Elisha to be the prophet. But did you notice that Elisha didn't step into his prophet's office that same day? Are you with me? So he departed. Go verse, keep going with me. And, uh, and, oh, and, and then, by the way, the Lord just, just kind of gives him a little bit of a... A little bit of a slap. And it shall be, verse 17, it come to pass that he that escapes. Let's go to verse 18. And yet, well, he kept saying, there's nobody here, there's nobody here but me. I'm the only one that serves you. I'm the only one that serves you. He says, I've got 7,000 left in Israel, all knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So God's saying, you're not the only one. He corrected him. Now, verse 19, so he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Saphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon his mantle, his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow thee. And after he said, go back again. And he said to him, go back for what have I done to thee? Elijah is not very encouraging to the brand new fledgling prophet. He said, get out of here. I don't, I don't know what you're talking to me for. And all the way along, Elijah didn't seem to be that encouraging to him. But I think it, it need, that was needed so that the, we didn't, God needed there to be a bit of a backbone in Elisha. Yeah. He didn't need everything to be that easy. I'm not saying that Elijah wasn't nice to him because the Bible doesn't specify. But we know in this case, he didn't, he didn't go. And he turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and soothed them and boiled their flesh and instruments of the oxen and gave it to the people and they did eat and he rose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. And later on, it says that he poured water on his hands and that he did menial tasks. Theologians tell us it was seven to eight years that he was in that season for. So I'm starting this message by simply saying this to you. I was reading this story on August the 30th, early in the morning, not, not because I, f I knew God wanted to talk to me, but I didn't know what he was going to talk to me about. And I, and I was planning on preaching on Elijah the next day. Nothing to do with what I'm talking about now, because I didn't know what I'm talking about now. But I'm just reading the story of the prophets. I'm just reading the whole thing, just reading it again. And uh, I didn't know that God, God had something to show me and that I was actually right in the right place. He didn't even tell me where to turn because I was already there. And as I'm reading this story, I st it dawned on me by the Spirit that Elisha was the next prophet 
He said, anoint him prophet in your place. And he threw his mantle on him. That means Elisha was the prophet. But he wasn't operating in his prophet's office at that moment fully. He wasn't, why? Because he was in a preparatory season. And God will many times call somebody to do something, but it's not time for them to manifest it fully because there is a season of submission and humility and preparation that must occur first. So I'm looking at this and I'm seeing this and then the Lord started bringing a parallel to me. And this is supernatural. This is all, remember I told you that August, uh, sorry, not 30th, August 2nd, or early in the morning, August 2nd is when God started to deal with me. I had that visitation from him. And, I, and, I, and I'm reading this and I'm, and I'm, and I, and I'm saying, well, I never, I knew he was the, I didn't know he was the prophet. Like I, I thought it was kind of later. I didn't realize how serious this was with God, that God kind of in some ways almost not rejected Elijah, but, but, you know, disciplined him and, and you, get, you gave the wrong answer. You're, you're, you're not right. Go and anoint somebody in place of you. And so he goes and he throws his own mantle, his own coat on this new prophet who's a young man. But yet we don't, we know from the Bible that, that he did not do his prophet's office right at that time. He was many years. And so the Lord brought a parallel to me as I'm sitting there. This is part of the visitation. He said to me, he started to reveal to me and he said, do you see the parallel with David? And I said, yes, Lord, I do. You see, David was anointed in his home as the king. The anointing was not as much on Saul as it was on David. He was the anointed king by Samuel in front of his brothers. And yet David did not do one kingly act for 15 years. Because there was a season of preparation, a season of submission, a season of humility. And he had to go for Elijah. Elisha, it was eight years, seven, eight. For, for David, it was double that time. And part of it was serving, serving Saul and part of it was running from Saul. But he still had that season of waiting. You still with me? Now the Lord then said to this to me, he said, David was anointed. Now listen, this is what the word he used. I've never heard anybody use this phrase before, but this is what the Lord said to me. He said, the anointing that came on David at his father's house was a separation anointing. I separated him for that calling, but the calling wasn't yet to manifest. The anointing that came on him in Hebron was a manifesting anointing. He was already separated for it, but he hadn't stepped into it yet. He had to pass some tests. But when he passed the test and he he was marked by God, but he wasn't in the full flow of it, Reverend Greg. Then he got to Hebron. He got in. Then that that anointing came on him when the elders anointed him. And that's when he sat down on the throne. That's when he stepped into that anointing. The Lord said to me, it's the same thing with Elijah and Elisha. Elisha was had that separation anointing come on him when he was plowing the yoke. God was saying, I mark you, you're the next one. But just because you're the next one doesn't mean it falls off you like ripe apples off a tree. There's going to have to be some stuff, some humility. Are you willing to make breakfast for the man of God? Are you willing to wash his clothes? Are you willing to walk beside him? Are you willing to be faithful? Are you willing to prepare? A lot of people are called, very few are chosen because the called won't prepare. That's why the Bible says many are called, few are chosen. A lot of people have a five-fold calling on their life, but they won't follow the procedures of preparation so they're not chosen by God. Yeah. 
So the first anointing was the calling anointing, the separating anointing. I've called you to do this, David. I've called you to do this, Elisha. But then there was a season of waiting, and then there was a, a, a chosen anointing. I now choose you. You've passed the tests. I now manifest it on you. This is now going to now manifest on you. And just like David got that in Hebron, so Elisha got the separating anointing for when he plowed, but he got that main anointing for him to start operating in this on the plain of Jordan when the whirlwind and Elijah went up and the mantle fell. Do you remember? Yes. Are you following me? And so really what the Lord said to me, he said, I'm, I'm going to say a lot of what the Lord said because in a four hour period, God can speak a lot. Yeah. Okay, but this all happened on early morning hours on the second. And he said to me, he said, therefore, was not the plain of Jordan Elisha's Hebron? Uh, you you got to pay attention if you're going to be in church today. Was not the plain of Jordan, that's when they crossed the Jordan, they walked together, then the whirlwind took Elijah up and the fiery chariot. He said, was not the plain of Jordan, therefore for Elisha, was it not his Hebron? Yes. Representative, because Hebron represents David receiving that manifesting, that chosen anointing. And Elisha had gone through the same season, albeit shorter, and now he was coming and he was now receiving, he had received the mantle plowing, but a season had to pass of humility and, and faithfulness and submission and preparation. Now the mantle comes on him not to serve, the mantle comes on him to preach. Yes. Now the mantle comes on him to start his calling, to start his, his, what he was chosen before the foundation. He was called seven years earlier, but he was chosen on the plains of Jordan. David was called at his father's house, but he was chosen in Hebron. Are you with me? The Lord said to me, your, your, your separation anointing was twofold. It was dual, unlike them. He said, I had to do it in two sections for you because there were two things that had to be accomplished. He said, the first was 2004, as you know, when you were in Peru and Dr. Dufresne had you stand up and talk about the ants. He said that was a separation and that marked the beginning of a 15-year period because there was going to be a parallel with the 15-year period of David, yeah. 2004 until 2019, which was 15 years. The end of that 15 years because 2020 was going to be a special year. And the 2020, like he ended 15 years, he entered into Hebron. We ended 15 years, we've entered into Hebron. So that, that one in Peru was part of the separation thing, but there was a duel. The second part, the second half of that happened in 2010. When Dr. Dufresne was here, the roof disappeared and the mantle came. That wasn't the mantle coming for us to fulfill and execute the power of the mantle. That was the mantle coming to separate us. That was God saying, I've called you. But the chosen is coming in 2020. Wow. Are you understanding where I'm going with this? So the Lord said to me, in 2004, I had to do it in two sections for you because it was two periods of time that had to come to pass. 2004 was the first part of the separation, although you didn't know him. But that first part was to position you because you were on the wrong track. You were going to go to Peru. I gave you six years to get in the right location to position yourself, and I did. Then when Dr. Dufresne came in 2010, that was the part two of the separation anointing where in public, see, nobody knew me in Peru, but now everybody in the congregation knows me. And now, and now he, the Lord says through him, through the prophet, through the Samuel prophet, through the Elijah prophet, through the spiritual father, through the man of God, Dr. Dufresne, you see the parallels. God said through him in, on Jan, June 28, 2010, when the roof disappeared, that was the second part of the separating anointing where God was saying, I've called you. I've not chosen you yet. 
but I've called you. Now, six years ago, I told you I called you, but you had to position yourself. Now you've positioned yourself. Now I'm telling you again, I've called you in a more dramatic way. Now I'm telling you again, I've called you. Now you've got six years to qualify. And in those six-year period, we qualified. I've taught this before. That ended in 2016. And then I knew something, something dramatic, something different, something unusual is about to happen. I knew that at the end of 2016, but I didn't know what. And then January 17, 2017, we started this new season of three years of preparation. And then we're leading up to this. Remember, that was the last three years of that 15 years of David. But it was three years of separation. Why? Not separate. Preparation. Why? Because we've been going through the season of the separation anointing. For us, it was a 15-year season. It started in 2004 and it ended basically in 2019. We we went through this season where God was saying, I'm calling you, I'm marking you. This is what I desire for you. But you've got to go through some stuff. You've got to position yourself. You've got to qualify. You've got to pass some tests. There's got to be preparation, faithfulness, loyalty. I'm looking for all these things. If you'll pass the test, son, I'll give you you this mantle. And so that's just like like Elisha and just like David. You've got to to prove yourself to God. You, You don't get special things cheap. No. A lot of people try to, but you can't. Do you understand? That's why lotteries are so ridiculous. You get something precious, but you get it cheap. And then they don't know how to handle it. And they lose it all anyway, most people. You don't get a precious anointing and a mantle and assignment because you just think you deserve it. That's what I'm saying. Everything has been leading up to this moment that we stand in today. For those of you that are new to the church, you have no clue. The years, the years and the tears, and the sweat, and the blood that we have gone through to get to this place today. I'm not talking about natural things like growing the church or beginning into a building. I'm talking about passing tests, uh, obeying the calling anointing so that we could get the chosen anointing, obeying the separation anointing so we can get the manifesting anointing. And the Lord said to me, just as Elisha went through a season, he was anointed and separated, but his Hebron year was on the plain of Jordan. He said, just as David went through a season, he was called and anointed and separated, but it didn't manifest on him. He didn't start to fulfill his destiny. It didn't actually start to work for him until he came to Hebron. So there's been a season of time, uh, two, six years, and then a three year. There's been a season of 15 years that there's been a separation marked anointing on you where even others out there acknowledge there's something on him and there's something on that church. And ministers that have come that I've never breathed a word to have said to me in the green room, I don't know, there's something different about this church. There's something on, there's a destiny on this church different than any other church I've been at. I can't tell you how many, I've never said a word to them about the mantle. They've never even heard me utter the words mantle. And they've said in the green room, what is it about the church? And then I'll j- tell them just little bits because it's too precious to just say to anybody. And I'll just say to little bits, well, Dr. Dufresne had a vision, da 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 It's been confirmed by him, by Pastor Nancy, by Jerry, by Greer, and by many others that don't even know anything about it. Plus, of course, the inner knowing and God speaking to me, which is probably the most important part because I need to know because I'm the one that has to walk in it. So he said to me, as I'm sitting there, Taylor, he said, as there was a season of time for Elisha and David, then they came into their Jordan plain, their Hebron year. There has been a season of time for you. And, and, and I already knew some of this. I just hadn't connected it to Elisha. He had never showed me the Elisha part, only the David part. So he was showing me the parallel of Elisha now. The reason I'll tell you in a second, because he had to get it over to me about Elisha for what I'm about to share with you. 
But he said, so there's been a season of time for you in this period of time. And as I've been telling you for three years, you're in, you have entered into your Hebron year. This is the year that David got the, I was called, but now I'm chosen. This is the year that Elisha got, I have been called seven years ago, but I am chosen. There's a different kind of anointing that comes when you're chosen. And there's much sacrifice and tests and trials that have to be gone through to prove your worthiness of that chosen anointing. Because God doesn't choose everybody. He calls a lot, but he doesn't choose a lot. Many are called, the Bible says, very few are chosen. Are you with me? So he started to show me, he said, do you see, son, that as Elisha was in his Hebron year on the plain, so are you. And then he started comparing it to Elisha more than David for what he was about to explain to me. He said, you are in the plain of Jordan right now. He said, 2020 represents the plain of Jordan for you because it's the Hebron year. It's the year the mantle's coming. I said, oh, Lord, okay. I said, this is a, this is a lot for me to absorb and take in. Let me give you a quote that he said. I have to rush, but I don't feel like rushing, but I have to rush. This is what he said to me. Are you ready? I've I've told you the the update, the the initial part. Then he said this to me because he's trying to get me to focus on Elisha for a second. Otherwise, the rest of it, I wouldn't understand. Mm -hmm. Because he was going to bring me some parallels from Elisha to our church. That's why he had to connect David to Elisha in my mind, connect me to all this church, our ministry to all three of them, and then start to focus on Elisha because Elisha is a microcosm. David, he's used David in my life as a macrocosm for a big picture. But he's, used, he's been using Elisha as a microcosm only for the year 2020. Yes, in general, we know what I've just explained. He had a season of preparation and all that stuff. So there's a, a general as well. But he then he started talking about this particular year being the Hebron year, like Elisha, the, Jord, the plain of Jordan year, the year to get what God's been wanting us to get all this time. But he had to wait. He waits with long patience for you to prove yourself. He won't give precious things to people that are not ready for them. And so, but now is the time. So then he put the focus on Elisha and he said, this season that you're in right now, this 2020 is the plain of Jordan. It is Hebron. It is where you're supposed to get the mantle. I've been telling you for three years, but now I want you to understand how you're going to get the mantle. And you need to understand Elisha's parallel to know how you're going to get it. I said, Lord, thank you, because I've been asking you, this is August 2nd, I've been asking you all year, which I was, almost every day, the entire year, I know this is a big year, I know this is our 2020 year, I know this is our headburn year, and I have no idea what we're supposed to do, and I have no idea what I'm supposed to do, and I have no idea how I'm supposed to please you, and I have no idea how I'm supposed to pick it up, and you can't have told me for three years and then not explain it to me, because I don't want to miss something. He never said a word to me until August 2nd. Okay, then he said this. Are you still with me? Did you notice that as Elisha entered the place to receive the anointing for his own ministry, as he entered the plain, his Hebron year, there were first three distinct locations that he had to go to first. Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan. So likewise, I took you through three seasons and three years before your Hebron year. They are a direct parallel, son, to your ministry. What I spoke to you in those three seasons match exactly the three locations for Elisha. That's all he said. 
So I wrote that down and I opened my Bible and I began to study and I began to search. And it's astonishing to me at the mastery of God without me knowing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's already happened. I'm looking back. The first place he went to was a place called Bethel. If you study what Bethel means in the Bible, it is the place where God speaks. 2017, God said to me, without any connection to Bethel or Elisha at all, he said, this is the year I'm going to say some things. If you study it, I won't read it for sake of time, but it's a place of speaking. Gen Genesis 13, God, God's, uh, Abraham went to Bethel for God to speak to him. Genesis 28, Jacob went to Bethel and had the vision of the, of the, of the, of the ladder going up and down from heaven, called it the house of God, the place of revelation. What is revelation? God speaking or God revealing. Both returned there multiple times in the future to seek God for his voice. Bethel is a place of speaking. It was the first place Elisha went on his way to his year of Hebron, on his way to the plain. Yes. And we, in that year, God said, I'm saying some things. And he talked the whole year about the mantle and about Joshua and about those five verses from Joshua 1. And, and he, he, he just talked, 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 talked. I don't know if you remember that, but he talked. Oh, yeah, then, that, now remember, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to come up with this. God said to me, yeah. on his way to his Hebron, he had three seasons, three locations. And he said, on the way to your Hebron, there's been three years. And exactly what happened with him happened with you. Go study it. I thought, that's not possible, Lord. I would have picked that up before. <laughs> yeah, right. And I didn't, I didn't know, but I'm, I'm learning now. The second place he went to was a place called Jericho. Jericho was a place of beginnings. It was a place of starting. Because when, when Joshua came out of the 40-year wilderness, the very first place they attacked was Jericho. The first thing they did was assault Jericho to enter into the promise. It's a place of starts. It's a place of beginnings in the Bible. And what did God say to us in 2018? He said, this is the year I'm starting some things. I don't know if you remember me saying that. I would tell you 2017 was a year of speaking. 2018 is a year of starting. And that's what it was. And then Jordan, Jordan is very unique. I'm going to give a little bit more time to Jordan so you can understand it. Jordan in the Bible represents a place of, uh, really it's a place of separation, but it's also a place of validation, confirmation, establishing, and settling. If you study Jordan, it's always about the God is settling something. He is, he's like shaking and letting it settle. He's establishing it. He's making it rock solid. He's confirming and validating in Jordan. And what did God tell us in 2019? This is the year of settling. I don't know if you see what I'm saying and how, how wild that is that we were going through three years and I had no idea that there was a parallel here and God only showed it to me on August the 2nd of this year. He said, you went through three seasons. I said, I'm going to be speaking, I'm going to be starting, and I'm going to be settling. And I told you, keep saying it to the people. This is a year of sp starting, speaking, starting, and settling. It's been three years of speaking, starting, and settling. I don't really know always what that means, guys. I would say that. I don't really know what this means. I just hear God say, tell the people, I've been speaking, I've been starting, and I've been settling. And next year, we take off. That's what I kept saying. Now he's showing me what I didn't know, Reverend Greg, what I had not connected the dots. He said, as with Elisha, he also had three distinct locations and three seasons. In the first Bethel, I spoke. In the second Jericho, I started. And in the third Jordan, I settled. 
And then he entered into his Jordan plain, his Hebron year to receive the anointing. And so have you. Jordan, when the Israelites crossed Jordan, it's, remember they all came out of the 40 years wilderness and they crossed that Jordan. Remember the priests went and the water stood up. Remember that? Now, this is very important you understand. Jordan represents the separation of waters. Whenever you see it, you see the waters separate. But what does it symbolize in the Bible? The separation of waters represents symbolically the separation of seasons. That is why when they came through the Jordan, the waters separated because God was saying symbolically, the season of the 40 years has ended. And the season of the promised land begins. And they went through the Jordan and it was God confirming and establishing and settling that one season in it and another was about to begin. And it was a confirmation moment. Are you with me? It's very important. With the, even in the bigger picture, with the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, it wasn't Jordan, but what did God do? He separated an entire sea. And they went on dry land. What God was saying in the separation of waters is a separation of seasons. The 400 years of slavery is over and now you enter into what I've promised you. And the whole nation went through on dry ground. Whenever you see that separation of waters, God is saying there's a demarcation mark in time. There's a line that is being drawn in the sand. What is before is over and what is about is, what is new is about to happen. Are you with me? Are you still with me? It was the end of one season, the beginning of another. And in that moment, what they did when they crossed Jordan, they took 12 stones, read in the Bible later if you want. Each of the chief of the 12 tribes, 12 men, took a stone, went into the water while it was dry and placed stones, 12 stones, as an altar to the Lord. Then the waters came and covered the stones. The, the stones are probably still there today under the water in Jordan. Then they took a second set of 12 stones, one for each tribe, and they went over to the middle of their camp, which is now on the west side of Jordan, where now, see, there's the country Jordan, then there's Jordan that divides up and down, north and south, and then there's the nation of Israel on this side of Jordan. They crossed the Jordan going west, and then in their camp, they put these 12 stones there as well as a memorial that God has confirmed our old season is over and our new season begins. So this Jordan, now I said, Lord, give me a New Testament example of this Jordan. And he said, look at the life of your Savior. <laughs> so I looked at the life of Jesus. Jesus went down to Jordan, yes, to represent submission to authority, but it was so much bigger than that. Yes, to show that even he was water baptized because we should be even though he had nothing to repent of. There was many symbolisms to him going, but one that I'd never seen. I knew he had to put his stamp of approval on baptism. And I knew that he was submitting to John, who was, the, who was over him, so to speak, as the main prophet of that time. He had to submit to somebody in order for God to approve his own ministry. So there was that happening, but I never saw this. The Lord showed to me. He said, just like when he went into Jordan, it was a significant, what does baptism represent? You are dead to sin and you are alive to righteousness. Even when we get baptized in the little tank, which is like Jordan, even though the water isn't separating, you are separating the waters. It shows the end of a season in your life and the beginning of a new. It shows I am being, I am dead to the old life. And I come to newness of life. It's, an, it's a separation of my life season. 
Do you see that? Jesus was being baptized to show all the people there is a separation happening. This old life of 30 years preparation is over. And now I come out of the water as a new man, so to speak, not from sin, but to the destiny of God on this life. I'm now going to enter into what I'm called to do. I'm going to enter into my promised land. I'm going to enter into, listen now carefully, I'm going to enter into my plain of Jordan, Jesus. It's the same symbol. I'm going to enter into my Hebron year because Jesus did not receive the anointing until after Jordan. He had to go through the waters of separation. He had to show, I am one life, a part of my life is over and a new part begins. Now, what else did God do? It wasn't just the place of submission. It wasn't just the place of separation. It wasn't the place just to show an old and new beginning. It was also a place, remember, what does Jordan mean? Confirmation, establishing, settling, where God was confirming to the children of Israel This is your new life. And he spoke to Joshua and he would tell the people, be of a good courage, let us go. He was confirming they were going to go and win. What did God do with Jesus? He comes through the Jordan, a separation of waters. One season is over, a new season begins. And God speaks himself from heaven and a voice so that everybody audibly can hear it. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That was a confirmation an establishing, a settling, a validating from God himself on Jesus. You have ended one and you enter anew. And I'm telling you, I'm proud of you. Do you see Jordan, what it represents? It's very powerful. Praise God. Elisha, keep going with me now. Elisha came through the Jordan River with Elijah. Elijah, the father, spiritual father, displayed the power of God by separating the waters. He came through Jordan into the plain of Jericho and received his anointing. Jesus went through Jordan and the father, it was the spiritual father for Elisha, it was the actual father for Jesus, Father God, displayed power as he came through the waters. Are you seeing the parallel? Elijah and Elisha come through the waters. Elijah, the father, smashes it with his mantle and the waters part. And they go through. It was a demonstration of power by the father and a demonstration of confirmation. Now Jesus comes through the same Jordan. He separates it by his baptism. One season ending, one season beginning. And the father, by power, speaks and then a dove comes down to confirm it. The father got involved at the Jordan, just like the spiritual father got involved at the Jordan. But both were with the purpose of going through the Jordan into, they're going now, they're going eastward. They're going from the land of Israel. They're going through the Jordan into the plain of Jericho, right? And Elisha received his mantle. Did you notice what happened with your savior? Jesus went through the waters of separation. God validated, confirmed, verified, established, settled, spoke from heaven like the Father did. The power was displayed. And then where did Jesus kept going east? He came from the west. He went through the waters of baptism. He crested the eastern bank and he kept walking, physically Jesus did, into the plain of Jordan because the Bible says as soon as he came out of the water, the spirit drove him into the Jordan wilderness. 
He walked the same route Elisha did. He came out of the Jordan into the plain and he got the mantle Elisha. Jesus came out of the Jordan, went into the wilderness and the Bible says he went in without, with a measure of the Spirit but he came out 40 days later in the power of the Spirit. Read it in Luke 4. Something happened in his wilderness experience. Something happened in his Hebron year. Something happened in his plain of Jordan experience that caused Jesus to get the mantle, get the anointing, get the assignment for his ministry. Do you see the parallels? I, I, I want you to see him clear. Because this is what the Lord showed me on August the 2nd. He said he went up. He went through three seasons. Remember, I'm still talking about Jordan, what it represents. So I think I've explained clearly enough what Jordan represents. It represents a time where God validates, confirms, establishes, and settles something. It represents the end of one and the beginning of another. And where God gets involved to say, I'm approving you. It happened with the Israelites. It happened with Jesus. And then they went on to receive their anointing. It happened, it's happening with us. It's happening with us right now. The Lord said, you, I said some things. Bethel, I started some things in Jericho and I confirmed and settled some things in 2019. He said, you didn't realize how important 2019 was, son. He said it was the end of one season, 15 long years, and the beginning of a new. You're about to enter Hebron. It was the end of a time of preparation like Jesus and like Elisha. And it was the beginning like David. And it was the beginning of entering into your Hebron, your plain of Eli your plain of Jordan like Elisha, entering into your wilderness like Jesus. It was showing 2019 was the end of something and we're about to step into 2020, which is our Hebron. It is our plain. It is our wilderness. Because that's where you get the mantle, in the plain. In the, it's where you get it. You get it in the Hebron year. You get it in the plain of Jordan year. You get it in the wilderness year. He said, you, I, I, I verified and I established some things to you in that 19 years. I settled some things. I let you know the old is over, the new is about to come. I put my stamp on you. I even had Greer and Pastor Nancy say some things to you, which I won't get into now, but, but privately and publicly, both times in 19 when they came, they said some amazing things privately and publicly. See, God was, what is he doing? He's validating. He's confirming. He's letting us know the 15 years is over and the new season begins. You're going through Jordan in 2019. Amen. Do you see it? Can you, can you understand the parallel of what, what we were doing in the macro picture and the bigger picture? So now we've entered 2020. We're already eight months in by this point. We're now 10 months in, but we were eight months in. I said, now, Lord, I've been saying all year, don't, don't let me miss it. Don't let me miss it. Don't let me miss it. So on August 2nd, he explains all this to me. And then as I'm sitting there and everything I've just shared with you, he shared with me. And as I'm sitting there with my eyes closed, meditating on my God, Jordan was our 9, 2019. Yes, you established, you said, you said it's a year of settling. You established and verified and validated. It was the end of one, the beginning of another. It shows that we're entering into a new season. You confirmed some things privately to me, but also through my spiritual parents. My God, Lord, I couldn't make this up if I tried. This is your hand of mastery at work without my even knowing it. And I'm sitting there meditating on it, and I had a mini vision. It was a movie camera, but I saw like a, like a, like a mini vision. 
And my eyes were closed, but I saw a scene play out before me. It was about three seconds in length. But the camera, whoever was holding the camera, it's like, you know, you got Israel, you go down through the Jordan River. Now on the eastern bank, the country Jordan is over here. So you're, that's where they walk. This is called the Plain of Jordan yeah. on the east side. And I saw, there was, it was like the cameraman or whoever it was, was lying on the bank and the camera was on the ground right at the lip of the bank. And I saw, I'm telling you, I saw it for about three seconds. It played out before me. The, it was on an upward angle. It's like the camera was on the ground facing upward. And I just for a flash, I saw two men. The left was Elijah. The right was Elisha. He much, was much older. And he, and he had gray hair all over. Like he was hairy, but he was gray. And the other one just looked normal. They both had those, oh, those garb, like you'd imagine, those long skirt garb with sandals. And they, but they were walking and and. Elijah was facing forward, but Elisha's head was turning and he was talking to him and it played out. It's like I was, it's like I was on the ground looking up and I could see them walking. They had just come through on dry ground and they were walking into the plain. And I saw it for about three seconds and then it ended. And I, and I heard the Lord and the word of the Lord came to me. He said, what you've just seen, let me quote it. Can I quote it to you? He said, from the moment they crested the Eastern bank of Jordan until that he received the mantle after he went up in the whirlwind, that is, that was their Hebron year. And this is your Hebron year. And it is divided into four sections. I saw them. And he said, the minute they crested that lip, and they started walking and talking. Remember the Bible said they talked together? As they were walking and talking, he said that season, from the minute they started walking until the minute Elijah, Elisha picked up the mantle, that whole season of time in the plain is the Hebron year. It is the plain of Jordan. It represents the wilderness Jesus went through. It represents for us the season of 2020. And he said, there are four sections to 2020. Would you like to know what they're? God often asks me if I, if I want to know. I think that's very curious because he knows I do, but he wants me to hear me tell him yes. He likes it when you show interest, which is why he likes it like you're doing this morning to respond because interest is an act of reverence. Interest is an act of, it's important enough for me to say something. Do you understand? I said, yes, Lord, I want to know what these four seasons I've been asking you all year so I won't miss it. And he said to me very clearly and very simply, can I keep going? It's 1152, but I'll keep going a little longer. He said the first one, the first section of this season, it parallels what Elisha went through. The first section is when he talked with his father. If you look at it in the Bible, uh, maybe I should read the whole thing. I don't know. Should I read it? Oh, Lord, I don't have time. Okay, look quickly, please. I believe it's in 2 Kings chapter, 2 Kings chapter 2, very quickly, because I just feel like we have to show you what the actual words say. 2 Kings chapter 2, and it came to pass when the Lord would take Elijah up, by, take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal and Elisha, and they go on, they go on. Okay, he, they go from Gilgal and then he goes to Bethel. Remember, that's the first place. As the Lord liveth, as I so liveth, remember? Yeah. I'm not leaving you. There was a temptation to quit in Bethel. Yeah. As there was for us. Yeah. Then he goes down and he goes, and then the prophets say he's going to leave you today. And he says, be quiet. And then they go down to Jericho, verse 4. As the Lord lives and I so lives, I will not leave thee. There was a temptation to quit and he didn't do it. And then he goes down, keep going with me. 
And uh, verse 8, Elijah takes his mantle, wraps it together, smote the waters, they're divided. They go over on dry ground. Now watch. Now they've gone over on dry ground. Verse 9 starts 2020. That's the plain of Jordan. And it came to pass when they were gone over. They're walking in the plain now. This is our year. That's how God showed it to me. That Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I will do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Maybe that's what he was saying. There was no audio. Maybe that's what he was saying when I saw his head turn. I don't know. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I'm taken away from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be. What was the key? You got to see me. And it came to pass as they still went on. They're still walking in the plain. We don't know how long, probably a few minutes, but we don't know. As they still went on and talked, they were talking, fellowshipping, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it. Yes, amen. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. My God. Verse 9 to 13 is 2020. Verse 9 is the, uh, the end Jordan. We've ended 19 into 20. And it goes right through that whole experience until he's got the mantle and he's back at Jordan. And that ends the 2020 year. I'm telling you, I can't make this up, Taylor. God showed this to me supernaturally. He said verse 9 to 13 is your 2020 year. And he said there are four distinct sections. He said the first section. Now, now look at, the, Jessica, look at the mastery of God. You couldn't make this up if you tried. He said the first section he spoke to his father. He received encouragement and they counted the cost together of what it would, the mentor would cost him and they did all this stuff. And the Lord said in the first part of this year, notice it was the only part of 2020. Do you realize that since 2008, including 2008, there has not been one year where I have not seen Pastor Nancy at least two or more times, not one year except 2020. Even in 2008, I saw her twice. 2000, many years I see her four, five, six, seven times. This is the only year since the beginning of this ministry that I have only seen my father, my mother, once. And when did I see her? January. And when did that, when was January, the beginning of 2020? And when did he talk to his father right as they crested the bank? There's only, only here. And I didn't plan that. COVID planned that. The COVID is responsible for that. But I'm just, I don't know how all that works. And I don't try to figure it out with my mind. All I know is that I could not see her this year except once at the beginning. And the Lord said to me, he said, as there was fellowship with the father at the beginning, so there was fellowship with you and your father at the beginning. Do you realize that this is the only camp meeting, Holy Ghost meeting in January out of all these years? It's the only camp meeting that she's had me at her table every single meal. She's often had us at her table, but never every meal without, without missing one. And I remember I said to the Lord, why are you doing that? This is very unusual. I mean, we're nice, but we're not that nice. (laughs) 
I said, Lord, why are you doing that? And he said to me, he said, it's important you have fellowship with her. I didn't know what that meant. What was Elisha doing? He was having fellowship with his father at the beginning. I'm telling you, you can't make this stuff up. Only year that ever happened. A lot of fellowship with her that, that, that week. Because I didn't know it was going to be the only time I see her. I didn't know there was a parallel to this. Amazing, isn't it? The second thing, praise God. What happened? Elisha encounters a major distraction. It's called a horse made of fire and a chariot made of fire. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? Everything in him wanted to gaze upon the wonder of this miracle. And the Lord said to me, the second part of your 2020 year was marked by a major distraction called COVID. He spoke it to me. And he said, everything in you wanted to slow down, take a break, a much needed vacation, make the excuse that I can't do this and I can't preach and I can't do that because look what's happening. I'd say, oh, poor me. Everything in you wanted to look at the distraction. Are you, are, you, are, you, are you following me? He said, but he didn't look at the miracle of the fire horse. He kept his eye on Elijah. And he spoke to me on August 2nd, Greg, and he said, you could have slowed down, son. Many others have. You could have stopped, search. Many others have. He said, but you have pushed harder this year than you even did last year. And he said, you could have gazed upon the fiery horse and the distraction and lost, lost what you were here to get. He said, but you kept your eyes on me. You kept your relationship right with those divine orders, Pastor Nancy and others I put in your life. But you kept your eyes on me. You kept your eyes on the assignment. You kept your eyes on the vision. You kept your eyes on serving my people. You, you've done, I'm telling you, Greg, I'm not saying it to puff myself up. I'm telling you. There were times during that, 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 that three-month, uh, whatever you call it, live stream, I, I just didn't want to come. I just, Lord, I don't even think anybody's watching. I don't even, there's nobody here to say amen. This is so hard. And I would force my, and I would say, no, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to, I didn't know that God was watching me. I swear I didn't know God was watching me. I just knew I had to do it to be right for your sake. Do you realize if I had handled it wrong in COVID, it would have affected the mental this year? Do you realize how important how I handled the COVID was to God? That he was watching how I handled it? Like he watched Elisha to see if his eyes averted? Or if he kept his eye on the prize? God was watching, is your eye going to move? Or is your eye going to stay? Because if your eye moves, you're not worthy of the mental if your eye moves. I'm telling you, this is serious stuff. But I can say, hand on the Bible with all of my heart, without knowing it was a test. I didn't even know it was a test. I can tell you after the test is over and passed, I didn't even know it was a test, that I kept my eye on the prize that whole time. During the live stream only, and as of June 13th when we met with 30%. And there are still churches today in Mississauga that haven't opened their doors. I've kept my eye on the prize, and I'm telling you it meant something to God. 
And the Lord said to me, you passed the first test, you spent time with your, your father. You've passed the second test, you kept your eye off the distraction. And he said, son, the third test, the third section of the year is called the ripping of the garments. That's what he did. And the last section of the year is going to be the picking up of the mantle. And he said, you don't have to worry about missing, having missed the mantle. The mantle is reserved for December. I'm telling you what he said to me. Then he reminded me, he said, do you not remember what I told Willie? God showed it to her. She spoke to me. That a takeoff year, a plane's destiny and purpose is to fly, not to sit on the tarmac. That's what it was built for, to fly, not to sit on the tarmac. There's all the preparation that has to go through, acceleration that has to happen. It fulfills its purpose at the very last second when it breaks the law of gravity and it leaves, it takes off and it leaves the runway. He said, your purpose is to pick up the mantle this year. I called it a year of takeoff, but it's all about picking up the mantle. Why do you think I called it takeoff? Why do you think I gave you an aviation analogy? Because the plane doesn't fulfill its purpose until the last bit. And you are not going to pick it up until the end of the runway. And the end of the year is December and you will get it in December. You have not missed anything. But you had to fulfill section one and you had to fulfill section two, which you've done. And he said, and this is August 2nd, he's talking to me. And he said, now from August to December is from August to the beginning of December is going to be section three. He said, you're going to get the mantle in December, but there's an important season. There's one more test you have to pass. And he ripped his garment. I said, God, show me what that means. I don't want to have come this far and fail. Show me what that means. I'll do whatever you ask. Show me what it means. And I heard him say, when he ripped his garment, it spoke of a very dramatic gesture. My way, my ideas, my concepts, my flesh, my self, no more. I want your ways. I want your power. I don't have, it represents my power. I don't have it. I, I reject it. I need that power. I need it. See, it speaks of a dying to flesh, a dying to self, a rejection of your selfish way of doing things and an embracing of the new anointing. I said, Lord, that's great. That's very symbolic. What does it mean? I can't rip my physical shirt. If it's that easy, I'll rip all of them tonight. What does it signify to me? He didn't answer. He didn't answer me, Taylor. He just said, you have to rip your mantle. You have to rip your garment. But then, the, then this experience ended. So I left that very thrilled with everything he's taught me. I know something's coming in December, but I have no idea what to do from August 2nd to December. So I said, well, maybe I'll watch you less TV or maybe I won't slap Jenny quite as much as I used to, you know. Uh, Lord, maybe she should not hit me with the skillet as much as she used to. I don't know. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. And in the middle of the month, I'm getting to the end now. I know you've been very patient, but it's only 12 before I've done very well. You need to relax. Your chicken told you, don't put it in the oven before you come to church. I'm almost done. On the, in the mid, I don't know maybe the exact date, but around the middle of the month, he hadn't said anything for about two weeks. And I'm asking him every day, Lord, I don't know what this means. What does ripping of a garment mean? I know it means dying to flesh and self, but I don't know what it means. What am I supposed to do? Quiet, quiet, silence, silence, silence. Then in the middle of the month, very quietly, a, tie, a little still small voice when I was praying and he said, a fast is coming. And I said, 
okay, well, tell me what and when and I'll do it. I mean, I've done Daniel fast before that you don't eat chocolate bars. I mean, that's, it's, you don't eat sweets and you don't eat steak. You don't eat steak or dessert. And I said, Lord, that, that's good. I'll do that one. Or, or maybe, the, maybe the fast I did in Africa, the three-day one. I don't know. I'll do whatever you want. Maybe I'll just fast coming to church. That would be nice. I'll just, what, what do you want me to do? He didn't say anything to me. He didn't say a word to me. That was around the middle of the month. And then on the 28th of August, the 28th, this is what happened to me on the 28th. My God, I'm telling you. On the twen- are you listening? Yes. On the 28th of August, almost, uh, almost well, 27, 26 days later, yeah. I was praying. And I heard, the Lord, I heard these words up in my spirit come. I've been waiting on them all month. And I heard, I heard these words. <clears throat> he said... <laughs> What's happening on the 7th of, of October, the 6th of October this year? I said, it's my birthday. He said, what else is happening? I said, it's a 12-year anniversary. He said, what else is happening? I said, it's my anniversary for ministry. I didn't even know what it was. He said, which anniversary? I had to actually go count it up. I said, well, it's the beginning of my 30th, end of my 29th, the beginning of my 30th. And the word of the Lord came to me. He said, did you not notice that Jesus in his 30th year went through Jordan and entered the wilderness to receive his anointing. He said, this is very symbolic, son. I didn't know it. I didn't think of it. It didn't even cross my mind. He said, as you enter into your 30th year like him, I want you to go into the wilderness and I want you to receive your anointing. The anointing means the mantle. The wilderness means the Hebron year. But he was using now Jesus as the parallel more than Elisha. And I said, but okay, Lord, you said a fast is coming. Now you're saying you want me to, this is my year to go and to go and seek you and get that in my 30th year, just like Jesus. I said, I'll, I'll, it was physical years from its ministry years for me. I said, I'll do that. But Lord, I, I don't know what, what you mean. What do you mean? I don't know what you mean. What kind of fat? He didn't say a word. Two days later on the 30th, that was a Sunday, 30th of August, very early in the morning, I was praying and I had a mini vision and I didn't see the person, but I saw two hands. I believe it was Jesus, but I can't say I don't know. My eyes were closed and, and somebody walked toward me, but I couldn't see who they were. I just saw two hands and they, it was a beautiful silver. It looked like something you'd present to a king. It was very ornate with engravings all over this solid silver plate looking thing. And on it was something and I couldn't quite understand what it was, but I knew by the spirit what it represented. And my eyes are closed and this person walks up to me and pushes this thing toward me. And it took me aback a little bit, and, and then the vision ended, and I said, Lord, what is that? I, I know you're offering me something, but I don't know what that is. I couldn't, I couldn't see. I was so focused on the innate design on the platter, I didn't focus too much on what was on the platter. I said, what, what was that? What was that? And he spoke to me, and he said, I am offering you. It's so precious the way he talks to me. He didn't tell me to do it. He didn't demand I do it. It is required, but it's not demanded. I don't know how to explain that. He was such a gentleman, but I know if I don't do this, I won't get what he has for me. He said, I am offering you a 40-day fast. It is up to you if you receive it. And so I started to cry. And I said, Lord, you told me a fast was coming, but I didn't know you'd give me the mother load. 
I said, two days ago, you told me that I had to be like Jesus at 30 going into the wilderness, but I didn't expect it to be exactly literally what the Bible says. And I started feeling fear, afraid. And I said, I can't do that. In my mind, I'm saying, I can't, I can't do that. I'm crying. And I'm saying, that thing in Africa almost killed me. I can't do that. I, I don't know if I can do that. And I heard a voice. It sounded audible to me. It was the voice of the Spirit speaking. And I heard a voice. And he said, you tried to fast 40 days years ago. And I did when I just met Jenny. And he said, you did it in the flesh. And that's why you couldn't fulfill it. I didn't. I quit. He said, I didn't tell you to do that fast. He said, I'm telling you to do this fast. I'm offering it to you. And then he said these words, and it's, and it's held me since the, tw- since the 30th till today, because I still feel a little bit at times. He said, and there shall be a sustaining anointing. And as there was a sustaining anointing for Jesus in his Hebron year, which was his wilderness. Hebron year represents getting the anointing. Do you understand? That's where he got it in the wilderness. As there was a sustaining anointing for him, so shall there be a sustaining anointing for you. And he said, will you receive this? I said, Lord, I I said, Lord, I, I didn't act when I saw that mini vision, but I'm telling you, I reach out and I take that. I receive, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll do it because I love you. And I knew that this first, second part of the year with this distraction was going to be big and important. It was big and important. And I knew this third part was going to be this ripping of the garment is going to be big and important, but I didn't know what it was. But I didn't want to miss it. And, and just as Jesus went in, he did that and he came out in the power of the Spirit. The Lord said, I want you to do this, son. And he said, I know it's going to, I know you think it's going to be hard. And in the flesh, it will be hard. He said, but there'll be a sustaining anointing on you. And then he gave me a verse of scripture and he gave my wife a different verse of scripture. For me, he said, the main way you're going to get through this. Now, listen, he said, I want you to do exactly what Jesus did. That means no preaching. I'm not seeing the congregation for for 40 days. I'm not going to be here. You're going to be here or I'm going to beat you when I get back. (laughs) But my wife and Taylor and others are going to be here. He said, whatever Jesus had, you have. And whatever Jesus didn't have, you don't have. He said, this is, this is as extreme as you can make it. And I want it because it's, 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 it, it shows the preciousness of the measure of the price you have to pay for the preciousness of this anointing. So he said, I want you to, I don't want you to see anybody. No, 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 no television, no internet, no movies, no, no, no meetings, no counseling, no preaching, no teaching, no seeing the congregation. He said, you're a husband and a father. I'll let you see your children and your wife. He said, I don't want you to be with your wife sexually for 40 days. Because the Bible says in Corinthians not to abstain except for the purpose of fasting. He said, I don't want you to turn the television on in 40 days. I don't want you to check your emails, your texts, or your phone for 40 days. I don't want you to communicate to anybody in the U.S. for 40 days. I don't want you to pay your bills. Pay them all in advance. Pay them a month in advance. He said, I don't want you to do nothing except fast, pray, study my word, and seek me. And he said, that is the price you must pay for this. And that is the price that Jesus had to pay. And I'm not comparing myself to Jesus. I'm giving you a parallel. So it's coming. It's coming. (laughs) And so I said, okay, Lord, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And he said, now what is going to get you through this, son? He gave me a verse. And you know, I never saw this. I've read it a hundred times. I've never seen it. This verse says, when the first temptation of Satan came, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
But the Lord said, he said, did you notice he said every word? I said, I've never seen that before. He said, in 40 days, you're going to read through the whole Bible. And he said, that spiritual food is going to sustain you physically. Jesus said, I have spiritual food that you, I have food that you know not of. The, per, the plan and the purpose of God is actually nourishment. He said, I have food that you know not of, meaning I have nourishment that you know not of. He said the prayer and the word will actually, even though it's spiritual in nature, will, I will do a supernatural act to physically cause it to sustain you. Then he said to me this, he said, in Africa, son, I'm ending now. He said, in Africa, he said, I know you were weak, but he said, did you have one hunger pain? And you don't know me. You don't know my body. If I don't eat by 12 o'clock, I, I get nauseous. Like I have to eat I, or I have to have something. I have to have some sugar because my blood thing drops. I have to. I start getting dizzy and faint and nauseous. And the hunger pains are more than I can bear on a typical day. That's why when I went to Africa, I was so freaked out because I don't know how am I going to do three days. Do you know, Sandy, even though I was physically cold all the time, and I was weak. I was weak. I couldn't, like, I was just physically weak. Do you know that? I didn't even really realize it. That not one day in that three-day period did I have a hunger pain. Not one day. I felt cold and weak, but I didn't feel sick. I didn't feel nauseous. I didn't feel dizzy. And I didn't feel like that awful panging pain that comes into your stomach. And, the, and I didn't even realize that. And the Lord reminded me, he said, you get into every word that I've written. You read the whole Bible. I want you to read the whole Bible between reading and praying. That's all you do. And he said, the, the spiritual anointing that comes from that will sustain you. And he said, as with Africa, you never had one hunger pain. He said, and there will not be one hunger pain in 40 days. I said, Lord, I don't know if I can believe that. That sounds too good to be true. And I said, no, honestly, I said, Lord, I don't know if I can believe that. You, would you realize what you're telling me? And, and then I needed a confirmation. So you know who he used? My wife. And, and the other day she opened her Bible and he said, I want you to tell your husband this. And she read, which I've read a hundred times and never seen. And it says, and Jesus came in the, and after 40 days, when he came out in the power of the Spirit, it says, and after 40 days, he hungered. I've never seen that. After 40 days, he hungered. It made no mention of him hungering during it. And the Lord spoke to her and said, I've already told your husband that he's not going to have pain in that 40-day period. He doesn't believe me. You go and tell him this verse. And she came as a confirmation and she said, honey, it's going to be after the 40 that you're going to feel hungry. You're not going to feel hungry during it. But I'm talking about no vitamin supplements, no carrot juice on the side, no Peter Carrot carrot soup on the side when nobody's looking. I'm just talking water. That's it. Just water. So as you can understand, on the 30th, that rocked me a little bit. But it was precious to me. I knew God was not demanding it, although he is demanding it for the mantle, but he is offering it to me. I had to choose to accept it. He's not beating me. He's offering it. I had to say, Lord, I receive it by faith. Now he's encouraged me of how I'm going to get through it. It took me all of September just to, just to adjust my mind to this and get my emotions in line. And just, I felt fear many times, but I go back to what he showed me. And, and, and just, just, it took all the month of September just to get used to this. And then the Lord said, he told me, he said, September is going to take you the whole month to adjust. And he said, now I want you for October to spend the whole month preparing. Tell the congregation, so I'm telling you on the 4th. 
He said, tell the congregation what to expect. And he said, there's a lot that you have to do physically. You have to get ready. You have to pay your bills. You have to do all staff meetings. Everything, everything goes on hold for five weeks without like you, you, you got to plan that. You can't just stop everything because you'll turn your electricity off. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to plan stuff. But then he said, now the, he said, now you pick the dates, but I want it to be November and December. You pick when. So I picked, I picked that I'm going to be here to minimize absences from Sunday morning. Uh, my last Sunday will be the 1st of November, which is the Sunday. And then I'm starting on the 2nd of November, which is a Monday. And I'm going to go through to the 11th of December. Now, he said, November and December, pick your dates. And I said, thank God you let me pick my dates because I want Christmas dinner. <laughs> and I want Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> You let me pick my dates, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So I'm going to stuff myself. I'm going to eat a whole turkey alone on Christmas and on Easter and on whatever Thanksgiving. But I'm going to, to December the 11th, which is a Friday. And then I'm coming here on the 13th of December, which is Sunday. That's my first service with you. And we're going to have a week because the doctors told me you can't just eat, Craig. You got to go very slowly with broth and soup and you can't just go and eat a turkey on your first day. Your, your whole stomach will explode and you'll die. So I'm going to take the whole week to recover. And then we have our Christmas service that next Sunday. And then precious Jesus is born and I'm going to be celebrating with a turkey that next week. And uh, that's just how I planned it. But I want, you to, I want you to see the spiritual parallel here. This year has had four sections. One was fellowship. Two is a distraction. Three is a crucifixion of the flesh. And four is a picking up of that chosen uh, manifesting anointing. And I see it just as real as that. I don't look at the mantle as just, it is symbolic. I'm not physically going to touch some piece of cloth or anything, but it's very real. And God has been so ultra specific about this. You couldn't make it up, Greg. You couldn't make it up if you tried. This is a, such a specific thing he has said. The parallel lined up exactly. He said, this is the season, August to December, of you crucifying the flesh, and it will culminate in that 40-day fast. And then he said at the end, I don't know when, but he said toward the end of that fast. He didn't tell me when. But he said toward the end of that fast, he said, you're going to pick it up. Because I said, do I wait now after it? Is it Christmas? When is it? Is it New Year? When is it? When, when, do I, when, when, when are you going to give that to me? And he said, if you're faithful at the end of that fast, I'm going to give. So that first part of that, that first 11 days of December is very, that, that 11 days is the most important of the entire fast, yeah. is that last part, that December part, because that's what everything has been building up to. Yeah. Do you understand? Everything with Elisha built up to when he picked up the mantle in verse 13 of 1, 2 Kings 2. Everything was preparation. All the years with, all the years doing laundry, putting up with Elijah's bad jokes, if he was a bad joke teller, I don't know. All the years, all of them, all the three things, Bethel, Jericho, all of them, all of them, all of them, not being distracted. Everything came down to this. That was in verse 13. Everything comes down to this last 10 days, 11 days of that fast for me. I say, I know some of you may be thinking, you're way too specific, you're way too intense, you're, I don't know, this doesn't really make sense. That's just, you just, you just take that between you and God. If you don't want to believe it, you don't believe it. But this is, this is my ministry and this is my life and I'm not playing games with it. And I've been going a long time. 
since that roof opened and that mantle came. And I've been saying, Lord, if you've chosen us, which we don't even deserve it, we're not worthy of it. But if you've asked us through doctor to take this assignment for Toronto for this revival, then I'm not going to miss it. I don't care what it requires. I'm going to pay attention. And it hasn't happened overnight. Greg has it. It's taken years, years upon years of God slowly getting things over to us. And now we know where we're at. I know where the timeline is coming. Now, next week when you come, I'm going to share a little bit more with you that I never shared today. There's more about Jacob that you don't know that directly relates to this year and this mantle and this fast. He showed me a whole thing about Jacob and the fast and how it applies. So I'd like to share that with you next week. But this week I had to let you know we're in Hebron. We're in our season, our plain of Jordan year to pick up. We're in our wilderness season to pick up that mantle. And while it's been a bit hard, it's been, it's been good and it's been powerful. And this is going to climax in the ripping of the garment, which is the crucifixion of the self and the flesh. And I'm going to do it. I need you to pray for me, obviously. And I need you to pray about, Lord, what is my part to play during this time? I'm not asking you to do it. And in fact, I would tell you, don't do it unless you know God has told you to do it. Because unlike you, I don't have to go into an office environment and work and do manual labor. I'm resting and I'm praying and I'm fasting. So it's easier. Jesus in the wilderness wasn't, wasn't typing. He wasn't brick cutting. He wasn't building a house. He was praying and seeking God and he wasn't exerting himself physically. Because you've you got to use wisdom naturally when you're not giving any nutrition to your body whatsoever. So if you want to fast, fast. I don't suggest you do what I'm doing unless God really tells you to. And make sure God told you to. But I think everybody can do something. I think everybody can fast a little bit, even if you only fasted one day or half a day, or you decided I'm not going to, I'm not going to watch television or I'm not going to eat junk food, or I'm not going to, you might, you might do a fast, a partial fast, or you might do a full fast, but just a short period of time. I don't know what God will have you do, but I feel in my heart that God, because I'm, I'm doing this as the leader, I think it would be inappropriate. I think God would be displeased if the leader is doing this thing to honor him and to obey him and everybody else just parties the entire time. I, I don't, I don't, because when Moses was up there fasting and praying for 40 days, what would the people do? Having a party. And when he came down, he busted those things on their heads. Not that I'm going to do that, but he was displeased. So it's not a party atmosphere when Moses is on the mountain. And it's not a party atmosphere when Jesus is in the wilderness. And it's not a party atmosphere when I'm... Praise God. But it's going to be a good atmosphere. I just want you to pray, Lord, what is my part as a congregation to support what you're doing, not what pastor's doing, what you're doing in this season. Pastor's doing his part for what you're doing. Let me do my part in line with what you're doing. This is the time we've been called by God, Greg, but God is about to say, I choose you. Yeah. And next year is going to be different. The anointing is going to be stronger. It's going to be different. Miracles are going to be stronger. Healings are going to be stronger. Demons coming out are going to be stronger. It's going to come to pass, but we have to get through this big step first. I hope I wasn't too, well, I will take that back. It wasn't boring. I hope it wasn't too long for you. I hope it wasn't too complicated for you. I hope you can understand where I'm coming from. We are in the season of Hebron. We are in the season of the mantle being picked up. My God, Father, I praise you. I glorify your holy name. I don't know if all of them fully understand the measure of it, but I know many of them do. For those that don't, let it not offend them. Let it not scare them. Let it not frustrate them. Let them not leave here feeling, Lord, that we've, we're, we're, we're one loaf piece of bread short of a full loaf or something like that. 
Lord, let them not feel that we're, I don't know what people feel when you talk about these kind of things. Because this is a very unique service. And this is a very unique vision that I'm casting. But I pray that everyone would receive it that is a member of this church, that their heart would reach out and take it by faith, that they'd look for the bearing of witness in their own spirit and they'll see if they look that the bearing of witness is there because I know that what we're doing is right, Father. I know that you told it to me. You revealed it to me. I didn't know about it. You showed it. You authored it. And I, my job is to run with it, with them. They're going to run with me. So I thank you that they leave here rejoicing, that at least God is speaking, that I'm hearing correctly, that we are doing what is required to please and honor the Lord, and that they are going to do their part with me, whatever that part is. And we're going to see this year through, Father. It's going to be the best year of our lives. I'm going to come out on the other side, Father, with that, with that fresh anointing, with that new anointing, and it's going to be glorious in the years to come. I give you praise, I give you honor, and I give you thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus. Bless the people now. Let them receive it. I thank you for it.